right, welcome everyone. It's 11 o'clock, so we'll get started. Uh, welcome to 11th hour. As always, please turn off or silence your cell phone if you have one with you. Um, and I will try to run around at the end with the mic if there are questions, if that works. Um, thus far in our 11th hour series, we've spent a great deal of time learning about writing for others. Lon Otto spoke about audience. Yesterday, B.K. Lauren discussed readers' brains. But, is, but it is undeniable that the impulse to write comes in large part because we do it for ourselves to make sense of love, of pain, of our very personal obsessions. Today, Sarah Safian will explore journal writing and its intersection with crafting stories for a broader audience. Sarah Safian earned her BA in English from Brown, her MFA in creative writing from Columbia, and her MSW from NYU. She is an author, a teacher, a writing coach, and a therapist. She teaches memoir here at the Iowa Summer Writing Festival and at Sarah Lawrence, and independently offers writing coaching and editing, editing services. As a therapist, Sarah counsels individual clients and runs support groups in private practice settings in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Blending her two main areas of interest and expertise, Sarah has created a model called therapeutic writing, using memoir prompts as a tool for encouraging reflection, processing, and discovering. Her memoir, Ithaca, chronicles the experience of being an ad adoptee who is found by her birth family. Sarah has contributed to many publications, has spoken live around the country, and has appeared extensively on television and radio, including, and I'm just going to name a handful, CNN, MSNBC, Entertainment Tonight, A&E Biography, BBC Radio, and Boston's WMJX-FM, where she was a finalist for the Exceptional Women Under 30 Award. She also co-hosted a pilot for a PBS talk show about books called Latest Word with NPR's Ray Suarez. Please join me in welcoming Sarah Safian. Thank you for being here. Um, I sort of jokingly title this 11th hour lecture, please just don't call it journaling because I have a little bit of an allergy to using the word journal as a verb, although I know that that is pretty prevalent these days. So I will not judge if you do so, but I choose not to. Um, and the reason I say that too is because I feel like often when people talk about journaling, um, they are writing, <clears throat> they're writing for themselves, uh, or they're often, often conflating writing for oneself and writing for other people thinking that those might be the same thing. And what's been interesting to me, uh, this is my ninth year teaching at the writing festival, and I'm much longer, I've much longer been a writer and a writing coach and a writing teacher than a therapist. That's a newer identity. And it's made me all the more aware of the obvious overlap, but also the crucial differences between writing for oneself and writing for other people since memoir is my primary genre. So you can imagine that there's uh, <clears throat> common ground there, but I think there are distinctions that are important. And especially using creative writing in my psychotherapy practice occasionally makes those distinctions all the more crucial, I think, when I'm doing that versus teaching like in a setting here where we're focusing on craft. And I always make the assumption wherever my students are in their creative process in a project or they haven't started a project yet and they're just exploring. I assume that if they're coming to a writing workshop, then they're interested in telling their story for other people, even if it's just the other people in that room. Even if it's not beyond that, I would think that if 
you're really just interested in personal catharsis, then you can stay home and write in your journal and gain self-reflection that way, and, and that's very useful to you personally. So I think it's very important to make the distinction, and the students who are in my class this week know that I make that distinction also for the sake of safety in the room, because I really feel one of my primary sort of cardinal safe space rules, as I call it, is that we're critiquing the work and not the life. And I think that's very important in a memoir craft workshop where all the rest of us have uh, the right to comment on is the words on the page, not what you actually did, thought, felt in your real life experience. That's not relevant. It's not our place to comment on that. As fellow workshop members, if as a friend, it's another story. Uh, and it's not helpful to your creative process to know what we think about what you did, thought, and felt in your real life. What's important is how you convey it on the page, and that's what we comment on in workshops. So that's a big difference. Um, <clears throat> so to that end, in the words of David Carr, um, the late New York Times columnist and author of the memoir, The Night of the Gun, Personal narrative is not simply opening up a vein and letting the blood flow toward anyone willing to stare. <laughs> um, I, I do believe that. I know that it's, it's kind of harsh, it's kind of graphic, but it's, it's not simply about this thing happened to me, but what and what about it? And I'll get more into that in a moment. Less graphically, but no less harshly, Neil Genslinger, in his 2011 New York Times essay, The Problem with Memoirs, advises us to avoid the, quote, if it happened to me, it must be interesting fallacy. Um, in other words, profound and meaningful to you does not automatically mean profound and meaningful to others. And it's not just a matter of content. This has come up in my workshop, too, the myth that only people with shocking or traumatic or bizarre life experiences have the right to write a memoir. I, I firmly believe that's not true. But the way that the content is conveyed, whatever that content is, I mean, believe me, I've heard uninteresting personal essays read about pretty much inherently interesting topics because of the way that the material was conveyed. It still wasn't compelling. Um, so I'm going to weave in some uh, brief writing exercises in addition to talking at you, and then there'll be time for questions at the end. So I'm going to, uh, if you care to participate, I'm going to offer a prompt, and we're going to approach it in two different ways. One way uh, as a therapeutic writing exercise, and another way as a craft exercise in order to see what the difference is between those two. So, and, and with apologies to my group, for whom this might be somewhat repetitive, but I said that if you did this exercise uh, at a different point, you might have a different result. So it may be interesting to see how this changed from Sunday night to today, Wednesday, for the people who have done it already. So I'm going to um, just give you a couple of minutes. This, this is sort of a three-parter. So this is part one. Um, I call this five important things. So I'd like to uh, invite you to write down five things that define you in some way, that are, for some reason, integral to your sense of self. Um, they can be qualities of your personality, um, 
overly sensitive, good sense of humor. They can be aspects of your outlook, uh, your political views, or your uh, general attitude toward the world. They can be roles or labels, mother, lawyer, surgeon, brother. Um, they can be life experiences, especially a life experience that was one of those that divided your life into a before and an after, right? One of those crucial sort of watershed moments of your life, if that, to your mind, defines you in some way. Um, perhaps a place that's very significant to you, where you feel most fully yourself. Even other people, where you feel fully yourself with that person. Um, so five items, non-prioritized. You don't have to put them in a list. You can put them in a circle, if you like, or all over the page. Uh, five is as important as one. Um, and just one word or phrase or a sentence at most for each item. And I'm only going to give you a couple minutes on purpose because uh, I want to see what rises to the surface as important now. Um, I'm sure you have way more than five. Uh, and as I said, if we did this a month from now, you might have five completely different items. And as I say, my group might find five different items than they did when I gave this to them on Sunday to introduce ourselves. Um, so I'll give you a couple minutes. What rises to the surface is important now. And just jot these down, and then you'll hold on to them, and I'll have you do something with them in a little bit. Okay. Okay, about another 10 seconds. Finish up that thought. Some people look done. Some people's heads are still bowed, but you can get the five out. Most people have a hard time narrowing it down to five, but other people say, I couldn't come up with five. I can only come up with three. <laughs> it's all interesting. There's no wrong way to do this, really. Okay. All right. So hang on to that, and I'll tell you what to do with that in a little bit. We'll do two different things with it. Um, <clears throat> So part of this talk is my explaining you know, my own different roles as a memoir teacher and writing coach and then also as a therapist. So um, I've always been somewhat of a tough love memoir teacher and writing coach, and it's all in the name of good storytelling. I, I don't want to be harsh gratuitously, and I hope that I am respectful and sensitive as well. But um, anyone who has worked with me is familiar with workshop titles like Get Over Yourself, which is the title of my memoir workshop this week. Um, mantras such as, who cares, which I pretty much hold up as the crucial question that memoirists should be asking themselves early and often. Um, why are you telling me this? So again, not just that it happened, but and uh, another question that's good to ask is, and so what? You know, not just that this happened, but what does it mean? Um, and there are lots of metaphors for thinking along these lines of using your own uh, life experience as material for writing. Uh, m my favorite that I tend to, uh, to draw on is don't give me the whole lump of clay, give me the sculpture that you make from it. In other words, the lump of clay is your whole life experience or perhaps your unabridged journal and that's a great source of raw material but that is not in itself the crafted story that will compel others. Um, as a fellow human being, as your friend, I may respond with sympathy or shock and awe or amusement to your life experience, but as your reader, not so much unless you do something with the material. You, you craft that sculpture. Um, some other 
metaphors are ones from Sarah Manguzo, who's the author of <clears throat> the memoirs The Two Kinds of Decay and The Guardians, and most recently, Ongoingness. She says, to write a memoir is to prune the enormous hedge of the whole narrative. So again, the whole uh, journal, perhaps, or the life experience is the hedge. And then what do you make from that? Or, or Michelangelo um, <clears throat> supposedly said that every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. Um, and I like that, too, because not only is it a matter of crafting something from the whole block of marble, but it's the sense that the story is organically in there to be found. You know, the idea that it's already there, and I just need to discover it. Um, <clears throat> so whether we're sculpting from the lump of clay or trimming the unruly hedge into a topiary or chiseling the statue from the block of marble, you can pick your metaphor, there's this crucial distinction between our whole life experience and the narrower story or stories that we create from it. So as I say, that's the divide that's so important, that your journal is a valuable resource both for personal exploration and for storytelling. But that's for you, whether you as, a, as someone who's crafting a narrative or you in terms of your own personal reflection and exploration. Relatedly, writing for ourselves and writing for others, while both important, are very different endeavors in certain ways. So since becoming a therapist, in addition to being a memoir teacher and a memoirist myself, <clears throat> and believe me, I was as tough with myself as I am with my students, I ask the who cares question all the time, um, I've been fascinated to explore the concept of journal writing and its usefulness both creatively as the raw material that we draw from to craft stories and personally as a means of achieving deeper, clearer self-reflection, processing, and discovery. And uh, as Anna mentioned, I've, since becoming a therapist, I've come up with, and this is not a new idea, other people have used this too, but a hybrid technique that I call therapeutic writing, where the focus is not on writing for others, but the focus is within. And where the get over yourself and who cares mantras of the workshop environment don't apply. It wouldn't really be appropriate for me to tell a therapy client to get over herself. <laughs> um, I, I always say that I'm a nicer therapist than memoir teacher, and I think that that's appropriate. Um, I don't say who cares to therapy clients either. <laughs> Because if, if they care, that's all that matters, right? The whole point is their own subjective experience, their own self-discovery. But in a memoir workshop, that's not, that's not enough. That's good. You should care. If you don't care, then really, why should we? But making us care, too, is part of the endeavor. But with therapeutic writing, it's, it's all right. If you, if you care, that's, that's all that is important. Um, what's been interesting for me, too, with this hybrid is that I use some of the same memoir prompts in therapy as I do in my craft workshops. Um, <clears throat> in both cases, I offer them as frames. That's how I describe them. And I don't dictate the content. It's up to the participants or the clients to determine what content to examine through those frames. And some of them, for example, the one I'm giving you today, the five important things, Another one is to write about the same past experience twice, two versions, first in the past tense as a memory, 
and secondly, in the present tense, as if you're back in that immediate moment, um, to compare the distance of reflection, I'm sitting here now in Iowa City in 2016, remembering that moment when I was 12, versus uh, the immediacy of the moment, you know, imagining yourself back in that 12-year-old place. Um, another example is writing from your own point of view about a past experience in the first person, uh, I, Sarah, and I'm thinking about it from my perspective, and then writing about it from someone else's point of view, you know, an incident where there was conflict, perhaps, and it allows for this idea of multiple truths with a lowercase t, and that's part of another uh, 11th hour lecture that I give about the politics of writing about loved ones, you know, the idea that memoir is inherently subjective, and different people might have different truths about what occurred, and that's not the same as fabrication. It's just about subjective experience. So writing about a past experience from someone else's point of view, also in the first person, um, you know, I as my father, my friend, um, can really give a sense of the experience from a more 360-degree view, really trying to get into the internal experience of the other person, um, to empathize with that other perspective. Um, another example of a memoir prompt that I also use in therapy is writing a letter to yourself, either yourself now if you're grappling with something difficult or a former self at some crucial point, some watershed moment when you were trying to make a decision or something good or bad but important had just happened or is about to happen. Um, <clears throat> why does that former self need to hear from you now? So you're really literally dividing yourself into the letter writer and the recipient, um, because a memoirist is both the storyteller and the protagonist, the main character. We're both. So how can we distinguish those two perspectives? I also have a prompt uh, writing a letter to another person. Um, in order to admit or express what you're unable to in real life, maybe the person is no longer living. Maybe it's a person who you haven't yet met. Maybe it's a person who you interact with every day, but for some emotional reason, you're unable to express these things. I use that in therapy a lot. And sometimes it's in preparation to have this conversation in real life. Sometimes not. Sometimes it's a matter of the client working through it via the exercise, and that's enough. That's productive enough, and there's no need to confront the person in real life. They can work it out imagining that they're addressing the person, but with the safety and the privacy of not actually sending that letter. Um, <clears throat> so that can be a useful memoir craft exercise as well. So those are some examples of the, the prompts that really have proven useful in both arenas, which I find interesting. Um, so basically the way that therapeutic writing, to my mind, is distinct from craft workshop is in its purpose. You know, we're using these similar writing prompts, but the purpose is what's different. In therapy, as I said, if you, the writer, care, that's enough. Because the purpose is introspective. So that's why in my therapeutic writing groups, um, as opposed to my memoir craft workshops, I don't ask participants to turn work in or even to read aloud. Because the point isn't about the sentences that you're crafting on the page you know, crafting beautiful, lyrical, compelling words. Um, instead, after periods of silent writing in the group, we talk about what the experience of the writing was like. 
What did you discover? What surprised you? What did you find challenging? What was more or less painful than you expected? Did you glean any unexpected joys or insights? How did it help you process? So the therapeutic benefits of this technique I see as twofold. There's the private experience of you alone with your words on the page. If I have a two-hour uh, therapeutic writing group, say, we'll have two 20-minute periods of writing. So they're privately uh, having a relationship with the words they're putting on the page, but then this sense of community with someone on their left and their right doing the same thing, and then the sharing that follows the periods of writing can be therapeutically beneficial as well. Um, so I'm going to ask you to take your five important things, and again, I'm just going to give you a few minutes. <coughs> So please look at the five things and expand on one of the items using this approach, the therapeutic writing approach. So this is just for yourself. Expand on one of the items, just start writing about it, that you perhaps most need to investigate and process for some reason. In a way that's meaningful to you is enough. And I know that might be switching gears since we're in a writing festival right now and I'm speaking to a room of writers. But you can, it's rare that I say this, you can put the self-editor aside and just write with yourself in mind as the audience only. So writing in a way that's meaningful for you that might help with your self-definition, your discovery, and your reflection. So choose an item that maybe you feel the personal need to explore. And I'll give you, I'll give you about four or five minutes to do that, and then we'll share but not reading aloud you can just talk about what that experience was like, if, if you feel comfortable doing that. I mean, it's, you may have chosen a lighter, more humorous item because it felt safer to explore. Even if you didn't know you were going to raise your hand and share, sometimes it feels unsafe even when it's just you and yourself. I don't really want to go there, you know. But that's interesting that you did end up going there, that you may have chosen it initially because it felt easier or safer, but then you saw that it was deeper than you had realized. And I think that's really interesting when people discover something in the midst of the writing. That's the whole point of the therapeutic exercise. You know, I, I've had people in therapeutic writing groups um, where they do the two points of view. You know, and the first part of that process is deciding, well, wh who's the other person's perspective that I'm going to explore? You know, who am I in conflict with? And I've had people... When we talk about, again, we don't read it aloud, but when we talk about the experience and what they discovered, they say, well, <clears throat> I initially chose, you know, my husband, say, but then as I started writing from his perspective, I realized we're not as at odds as I thought. <clears throat> so I chose my mother instead around this issue or whatever it is. So it was an interesting discovery when you're right in the midst, you know, you think that you're setting out to do one thing and then you're in the midst of writing it and you realize something different. And that's the whole point. Right, Because journal writing is great, but the thing about the, the prompts is that it focuses it a little bit more, you know, so it gives you a little bit more of a structure to work in. Um, great, thank you very much. Um, <coughs> so in, in terms of the craft side of things, which is what we're dealing with in Iowa City this week, there's always the question of when are you ready to write about a personal experience? What does that readiness even mean? Um, my friend and fellow memoirist and memoir teacher, longtime teacher of the festival, Hope Edelman, put it a nice way. She said, <coughs> you, 
you're ready when you're approaching, at least approaching an understanding of what the experience means. So in other words, like I said, not just that it happened, but what does that mean? What is the point? Um, Neil Genslinger, the uh, writer of that cranky New York Times essay, The Problem with Memoirs, puts it this way. He says, an ordeal served up without perspective or perceptiveness is merely an ordeal. Um, and playwright Edward Albee puts it this way. He says, rage is incoherent. Observed rage can be coherent. And so when I talk to my uh, writing students, I talk about a healthy distance, again, between you, the narrator, and you, the protagonist. And I find as a reader that I'm more compelled when I feel that the protagonist being described in the memoir may be going through all kinds of emotions, and well, should be. It should be an emotional experience. But I don't feel like the writer sitting down to write the memoir is embroiled in all these feelings. The, the, he, he or she has worked through that to a degree and can describe the emotional state of the protagonist with great raw detail, but uh, the author, him or herself, is not Im still embroiled in the process. I mean, sure, when you work on memoir, things will come up, but if you're, if you're so caught up in the emotional state yourself as the, as the storyteller, it can be very distracting and, and you kind of lose sight of the meaning of the experience, so, so that healthy distance is important. Um, <clears throat> So if you're still too close to that experience, still processing it emotionally, that can be very useful personally, though, but maybe not yet ready to be told to others. Um, and so it can sometimes lead to less effective motivations to write a memoir. For example, to settle scores or exact revenge. Not a great motivation to write a memoir. <laughs> to preach or to rant. You know, I've often said to students, ranting is not storytelling. That's not storytelling, that's ranting. Uh, to confess or unload, um, to generate sympathy. Not great motivations to write memoir. Um, so again, Neil Genslinger, uh, the cranky problem with memoirs writer, he says, say you get stuck under a rock and you have to cut off your own arm to escape. If, as you're using your remaining hand to write a memoir about the experience, <laughs> Your only purpose in doing so is to make readers feel the blade and scream in pain, you should stop. You're a sadist, not a memoirist. You merely want to make readers suffer as you suffered, not to entertain or enlighten them. And that's the big takeaway for me from, I think it's a great essay, uh, is to entertain and enlighten. That's the motivation to tell any story in any genre, really, isn't it? I mean, memoir, but fiction in any other genre. In other words, to tell a good story. That's the motivation in fiction, right? You want to tell a good story. Why should that be different just because you're using your real-life experience as your material? It should also be to tell a good story, to entertain and enlighten. That's really the strongest reason to write a memoir for other people, to make your unique experience into something universal and thereby to offer a shared discovery to your reader. So in other words, you, you can be on a journey in your narrative, but you're inviting your reader along with you. You have empathy for your reader. Um, so therapeutic writing is to enlighten ourselves to the meaning of our experiences, and that's a deeply personal process. To write for other people is to enlighten them as well. Um, 
Another person who writes very well about, about writing in general and memoir in particular is Danny Shapiro, and she's the author of the memoirs Still Writing and Slow Motion and Devotion. Um, and she wrote very uh, frankly about what memoir is and is not in an open letter that she published on Salon in 2014 in response to someone who contacted her on Facebook, uh, who seemed to be hankering for the unabridged, exhaustive account of her life after reading one of her memoirs, was very unsatisfied by all the things that Danny Shapiro decided not to include. So, um, in other words, it seemed like the person who contacted her on Facebook wanted the lump of clay or the block of stone or the unpruned hedge or, or her very journals. Um, <clears throat> so Daniel Shapiro said in her own defense, when a writer sits down to write memoir, she is not sharing her diary. She is not confessing. She is not doing some sort of public striptease. Her whole entire life is not up for grabs. Um, and I translate that to, we all have many memoirs in us, but what is this particular one about? And it's important, you know, if, if someone asks you that and you say, well, it's about my life or it's about me, way too broad an answer. You know, what is the narrower experience? Because as you know, there are many writers who write multiple memoirs and they're each on a different focus. There may be an overarching theme, but th there are narrow slices of the life experience. And so another great way that Danny Shapiro put it is this. She says, the memoirist looks through a single window in a house full of windows. After all, we can't look out of all the windows at once, can we? We choose a view. We pick a story to tell. We shift through the ever-changing sands of memory. And in so doing, we create something hopefully beautiful, by which I mean universal. Um, so with this in mind, the more craft-oriented side, I'll ask you to go back to your five important things, and I'll just give you a couple minutes, and then we can share. So if you could expand on an item on the list, it can be the same one that you did last time or a different one. It's up to you, but with this different approach. So now we're sort of back at the writing festival, uh, and expand on it in a way that might be entertaining and enlightening to other people. Um, it could become that inciting incident or that organizing principle that would drive your memoir. Why should others care about this? So you're writing about it with the larger audience in mind, not just for your own personal self-reflection. It might be interesting to use the same item and see how your writing about it is different, but it's up to you if you'd rather choose a different one. So I'll just give you a couple minutes and then we'll share and we will read aloud because this is about craft this time. Okay. Well, so therapeutic writing, whether we're alone with our journals or using more structured prompts and group discussions, aids us, as I said, in delving deeper and simultaneously achieving reflective distance, uh, kind of a bit of both, in order to gain the clarity and understanding the meaning of our experience. And as I said before, this can sometimes be an on-ramp to approaching readiness to tell our stories to others. If we start understanding the meaning of them, well, maybe we can convey that meaning to another person, which will make them care, which will enlighten and entertain them. And they will care because they relate to something universal in our uniqueness. That's the dual goal, which is, which is challenging. Other times, therapeutic writing is a means to its own end. The personal clarity and meaning that we discover for ourselves is enough, and we don't have to tell our story out loud. And it's important to decide, too, which this is. 
Um, I'll end, and then we'll have some time for other questions uh, with Danny Shapiro again, because I, I love this quote. I think it applies to both writing for oneself, for one's own discovery, and writing for other people. She says that, as a writer, my inner life is my only instrument. I understand the world only by my attempts to shape my experience on the page. Then, and only then, do I know what I think, feel, believe. So it really applies to both, doesn't it? Self-discovery and storytelling. Sorry? Sure. As a writer, my inner life is my only instrument. I understand the world only by my attempts to shape my experience on the page. Then and only then do I know what I think, feel, believe. And you might have experienced that too, whether you're writing in your journal or you're in a memoir workshop, you think, oh, well, that, oh, that's what I was thinking. Like you were saying about the humorous item you chose, and then you realized, oh, well, actually, it's sort of more serious and deeper than that. So there is the self-discovery, which can lead to better storytelling as well at, at, at some points. So any questions? Yes, please. Oh, thanks. No, and you're all the way in the front, so it's hard to project. <laughs> all that matters is that you can hear me. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Springsteen said, and I came to Bruce Springsteen rather late in life, um, unfortunately for me, but he said, I write to understand. And I sort of echo, I think it echoes what yeah. Shapiro says. Um, but I was curious, uh, my identical twin is a, a psychotherapist, and so I'm just curious what brought you to that profession, and did writing come first, or what was the... Right, the writing and the writing teaching came first, and, and I've been doing for much, much longer. It's only been the past couple of years that I've been a therapist. And, um, I mean, just really briefly, I think that part of it was that I was already helping people to tell their personal stories. And so it, it felt sort of like a, a natural progression to me to help them with their life experiences um, and then using the creative writing in that endeavor at times made a lot of sense given my writing background. What was interesting to me too though is I thought, well, memoir is very much related to therapy, but I also have background as a journalist and I didn't realize how relevant that would be. But when you're in the room in session with a client, uh, you're basically trying to make a person comfortable so that he or she will talk. And that's what you do when you're interviewing a subject as a journalist with a different goal, you know, to help them rather than to write an article about them. But nonetheless, there's that similarity. So I found that kind of fascinating. The, the crucial difference, though, is that in therapy, it's all about the client's subjective experience. In other words, they should be my only source for information about them, as opposed to journalism or any kind of writing, really, where you want to, you know, get information from various sources and uh, you know, research and talk to different people about that person. In therapy, not so, because it's distracting. You really, all that matters is that person's take. Even if that's flawed and skewed, and it, it's about what they choose to share and how that is important. So, uh, that, so there, again, differences and similarities, yeah. 